our series, and we're specifically looking at um, sort of the third part of this series. And what does you know what does God intend? What does He say about us being a connected people about relationships? And we want to specifically look at. Um, marriage, singleness, sexuality. Um, and I want to just remind you, um, I sort of kicked this chunk of the series off two weeks back. If you haven't caught the podcast, that will help you kind of frame where we're going. Um, but I remind you, there's sort of the three things particularly that we, I want us to keep front and centre um, is the, the big context of all these things that we're looking at. The big context is actually that for human flourishing, that all of us would become fully alive. Actually, there's a good God who has a, just a beautiful heart towards humanity and his heart is that we would flourish. So that's the big context. It's the big journey that we're on. Um, actually, that every single one of us um, is becoming like Jesus. The big journey is we're becoming like Jesus and that we all have some work to do. The third thing is, um, is this big net. As, as much as we are looking specifically um, at, at these kind of types of relationships, is I want to be really clear. Um, we're talking relationships generally, it, which includes but isn't limited to marriage. So I'm really keen for us to try and do a better job at knowing, listen, marriage isn't the answer. Being married does not guarantee you intimacy and deep companionship, but it, and neither does being single exclude you from that. And so we're trying to figure out, okay, how, how do we do those? How do we work that thing? Um, and so I want to I kind of take another slow step in sort of setting the scene this morning. Um, and I want us to kind of start by acknowledging where we're at or acknowledging the situation. Um, and, and in one sense, kind of the problem. Um, and, and it's recognised, listen, there has been a huge shift in culture in the last... 50 years um, in the West. Um, and that you could look at things and say, okay, there's now a really big gap between maybe what traditionally the church would have believed and, and where culture's at. And, and, you know, we could say, you know, the problem is that there's big theological differences. The problem is that church tradition is being challenged. Listen, stuff is going on, but for me, that's not the problem. The problem is countless people are incredibly confused and that very real people are getting very, really hurt. Um, that's the problem, right? Real people are getting really hurt. And, and, and that Jesus is getting lost at times in a really ugly culture war. And I kind of want to just put out there for, for us and this house, that's, that's not the way we're going to walk this out, right? That's not on our watch. That's not how we want to play things. So we, we need to recognise it. It's not, you know, sort of, it's not for theological and doctrinal reasons that there's a problem. Um, actually, what we want to recognise is people are confused and hurt, right? So single people potentially in the church are feeling overlooked, are looking second class. You know, there's, there's elements where kind of actually we talk about certain things to do with sexuality and morality, but not others, and, and that compromise creeps in and we, we sort of defer to letting culture decide our sexual ethic. Um, and I think particularly that the LGBTQ community are, are being massively hurt, um, and gay Christians will be leaving the church in droves, and we're not doing a great job at having the right conversations um, and doing the right thing. There's some research that um, a couple of men called Gabe Lyons and Dave Kinnaman did in, in the US, but I think probably it's very transferable. And they asked, particularly under 30s, um, what's the first thing that comes to mind um, when you think about evangelical Christianity? 91% of people said anti-homosexual. It's the first thing that came to mind. That's a problem. Not that there's doctrine, like that's a problem, right? 87%, the thing that came to mind is that um, we're judgmental, 85% hypocritical, 
right? Now, and then I would, you know, love to think, listen, that's not me, that's not us, but actually we are part of the body of Christ and that's a problem, right? That's the problem. I'm going to put a photo up on the screen. I'm sure many of you recognize this young lady. This is Lizzie Lowe. Um, and she um, was 14, lives in Manchester, was part of a church community in the south of our city on our time, on our watch. Um, and she took her own life in 2014. Um, she was wrestling with her sexuality and had and at her inquest what came out was that actually she was not able to reconcile um, her sexuality and her faith and she was terrified that the church would reject her her parents wouldn't love her god wouldn't love her because of what where she was feeling and she took her own life and you know we have to say as a body of christ like that's not okay like that needs to massively bother us like she she needs to bother us right that needs to challenge us and so i want to say in the context of listen this is the problem not doctrinal debates this is the problem and we've got to figure out um how do we walk this better Um, and so i want to look at this morning some guiding principles as we look at this whole area and and i do want us to think broadly about relationships and sexuality but you know but i do think this is particularly a problem for the gay community in the church Um, but i do but i want us to think broadly. Um, So I want to look at some guiding principles that some things I'm hopeful um, are going to help us as we try and look at things which are potentially tricky, confusing, painful, and polarizing. Okay, what are some guiding principles that if I can, I want to ask you to hold on to? Um, The first thing is this, is I want us to consider our position and our posture. I want us to separate those things out. And now both of them matter, right? What our position is does matter. I'm not saying it doesn't. But I, I wonder whether an awfully large part of the problem is that, um, that people, maybe within and without the church, what they encounter from us is a position, a theological position, rather than a Christ-like posture. I think that's part of the problem. And so if we can really think carefully, okay, how can we, how can we consider our posture? Honestly, before and ahead of our position, I think we will, I think we will help ourselves out. Um, Preston Sprinkle, I've read absolutely reams and reams and reams, and I would love to, I can point you um, to some really good, some really good books and some really good stuff I've read and listened to and people I've talked with. There's a guy called Preston Sprinkle who's written a book um, on kind of the whole issue of sexuality in the church. Um, And he really kind of, it's called A People to Be Loved. And he really kind of starts with saying, listen, we have to understand this is not an issue to be debated and solved but actually there are people to be loved with stories to be listened to. And I think if our focus is on our position, then we see the issue devoid of a face like Lizzie Lowe. Actually, we don't see people. And so we see an issue of singleness, divorce, pornography, sexuality. We see an issue and think, how can I fix? How do we, what's our position to this issue? But if our focus is on posture, it's because actually I'm seeing people and saying, how can I listen to you? How can I love you? And that has to be a better way around. That, so, so can we be really careful about our posture, even f- before we think about our position? But listen, I'm not saying our position doesn't matter, right? What do I believe and why is really, really important. And it's massively contentious in this whole area, but it really matters. Um, and I want to kind of... like that, that's, a, that's a whole journey for us to go on. Actually, how do we determine our position? Not just on these things, but on anything. Um, like, who does get to tell us how to live and challenge and speak? Like, how, how do we figure that thing out? I, I think I want to if I can, gently challenge two equal and unhelpful um, positions, which is actually, I will allow my position to be determined because 
church tradition told me to, on the one hand, or culture tells me to, on the other hand. I humbly want to say, I don't think either of those one, or of those positions, neither one of those are good enough. Yeah, let's consider church tradition. Yes, absolutely be aware of culture. But those two things, if, if my only reason for having a certain position is because, well, church tradition has just told me that, or, but this is what culture says, that's not good enough. And you and I need to go on a bit of a journey and do a bit of work to actually really think about, well, why, why do I hold the position that I do? And we have to come back to the Bible. We've got to figure out what do we do with Scripture in this area and many others. But, but I want us to hold the place of Jesus um, and the place of the Bible strongly together. Um, so we, we think about the Bible. All right, what does it say? And what does that mean? Because uh, that, like, I, it says this. What does that actually mean? How then should I live? Right? We, we need to consider all three of those things, all three of those phases. Okay, really, really important. I grapple with Scripture. What does it say? What does it mean? How shall I live? Really, really important. Um, but, but my approach to the Bible must be that as much as I come to the Bible, I absolutely need to come to Jesus. You know, we need to understand that the scripture, it's not just a list of of rules and requirements that I need to live by and kind of clobber verses that I can hit other people with. Actually, I need to come to the scriptures with Jesus. And there's this amazing bit in John 5 where um, Jesus is going after the religious leaders and he says this, um, he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Now, Jesus didn't have a low value of scripture at all. He was very abundantly clear. Actually, not one single word passes away. He came to fulfill it, he says. But actually, if our approach to the Bible is we come to the Bible to find an answer to an issue, and we're not coming to Jesus as a person that we need to posture ourselves like, then again, we've missed it. Because actually, life is Bible and Jesus, yes? Which is why when, you know, a couple of weeks ago I said, listen, Colossians 2 is so vitally important for us in this context. Actually, it's, the, it's elevating Jesus and us recognising, I've got to come to him. Like, where else would I go? I don't understand all the questions. This feels costly. This feels confusing. This feels painly. But God, where else would I go but come to Jesus? It's in him, Paul says in Colossians 2. It's in him and only him that men will find all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, it's not that this sort of classic Sunday school answer, you know, well, it sounds like you're describing a hedgehog, but I'm in Sunday school, so the answer must be Jesus, right? It's not that. It's not the answer to every question is just Jesus. But it's actually, it's in Jesus we will find the treasure and the wisdom and revealed in Scripture. So both those two things, keep coming to Jesus, keep coming to Scripture, right? Because what we're looking for, again, it's not necessarily answers to questions to win a debate to kind of strengthen our position. Um, it's actually responses to people. I've been reading some stuff this week. Um, um, a guy called Brian McLaren, actually, he was saying, he said his encouragement is not so much, you know, kind of approach to the Bible is looking for answers but actually looking to responses because the tendon, the temptation is and I know what he's saying and I think he's right we can the temptation is that we come to try and find an answer in order to shut down a conversation justify our position and disconnect from people who think differently it, it's there's a potential that we approach the bible like that right rather than an answer uh, rather than a response, sorry, which is more about how can I actually connect and talk to you and listen to you and learn from you? Because if, if I come with, here's my answer, here's my position, here's the Bible, bash, 
that, like that's, that, that's just not a Jesus-like posture. And I don't think that's going to get us. So let's be super careful with our approach to the Bible. We're not looking for answers to win or justify our position. Oh, I was right all along, right? Actually, it's to, it's to challenge our posture and to give us a response to people. Here's the other thing Jesus says, Luke 11:46. Again, he's going after the experts in the Bible. And Jesus replied, you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens that they can hardly lift and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Listen, that needs to speak to us, right? If, if my position and my understanding and use of scripture is a burden that sits on people and I will not come alongside them to help, I'm wrong and I've got to stop. I have to change that. We have to change that posture. That's not good enough. If my position is a burden to someone else and I'm not willing to help, and listen, and that's not that we don't have a position and it's not that scripture doesn't challenge, it does. But if how I use scripture and how I engage with people is a burden that sits on them and I won't help, stop. We have to stop. So my aim is, is to try and um, say, hey, listen, we've got people we need to walk alongside, we need to listen, we need to be humble, we need to learn from, we need to value people's stories. Um, and our aim is, how can we help each other find some responses to the questions that we're asking, the questions that friends and family are asking, the questions that culture absolutely are asking? Like, there are questions that are being asked, but my aim is not to have a, an answer that wins a debate, but actually some responses, which, yes, are biblically based, right? That have, but have been really... We, carefully considered them. We've carefully thought those things out. They are compassionately based and kindly articulated. And if you can't do that, please sit down and shut up, right? Like, let's, that needs to be our posture. It's from a place of love and honour and value for people not to win an argument. And here's the thing, the other thing that I think is helpful in, in figuring out posture and position is is I still have questions. There are, there are things about what's my position, what does this then mean, that my honest answer is, gosh, I'm still not sure I know. But my posture can be set even if I still have some questions over my position. Does that make sense? So let's be okay with questions, let's be okay with conversations, and let's, let's not having to have it all locked down. Carefully consider how we're going to arrive at a position, but it's more important, and, and your posture can be set even before your position is. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's the first thing I want to think. That's a guiding principle. Let's be more concerned of our posture than we are just our position. The second thing is this, is, um, is to help in that process of how is my posture going to be right, is we have got to figure out and recognise and resist. There's this squeeze for us to make. Um, to, actually, there's false choices that we're being squeezed we have to make. We have to choose either or. And it's because the temptation is we'll get pulled into this ugly culture war and that actually you have to pick a side... So you have to pick a side, choose your weapons, and then attack, or at least defend your position, right? So, we, so one of the things I think will really help is, is to recognise from every different angle, there is actually, um, there, there's this temptation, there's these false choices that we feel like we've got to choose either or. This really kind of came home to me. Um, here's another picture. I don't know if any of you picked up on this. Um, this is... Um, on the left, this is George W. Bush and Ellen. Um, I'm a big Ellen fan. I love her show. And she, this was her... Um, they were, at, I think, an NFL game. Um, and she got absolutely hammered for sitting next to George W. Bush. So she's, she's a gay woman. Um, she's 
probably one of the first women who came out in Hollywood, you know, champion um, for the gay community. And George W. Bush has consistently voted against gay marriage. He would hold a conservative position. So people were saying to Ellen, how can you, how can you sit at a football game looking very relaxed and happy, thank you, next to that man? Um, and I would encourage you, have a look at her response on her show. It's brilliant. Because so one of her things, I don't know if you've ever kind of watched her show, but she's all about, let's be kind to each other. Right? And she says, she, it's so brilliant, she says, listen, when I said be kind, I don't just mean to people who agree with you. Yeah. I mean be kind to everyone. Yeah. I remember sitting there going, just Ellen, preach it to the church. <laughs> right? That's the deal. Yeah. We're kind. And so what she's, being, what she's being squeezed into is pick a side. And it can't be him. He's the enemy. And interestingly, a couple of months before that, Lauren Daigle actually played on Ellen's show. So she's a singer-songwriter. Again, I'm a big fan. Um, and she's a Christian. She's kind of, I suppose she's a crossover artist, is she? So she's, I mean, you can totally hear and feel Jesus in her songs, but she's absolutely in the secular world. And so she was on The Ellen Show playing her song. Um, and Lauren Daigle got absolutely hammered by the conservative Christian right. What are you doing playing on that woman's show? And it's just like, folks, let's just stop with the side-picking like, that's not it. And, and wrecking, So I want us to work really, really hard to resist these false choices because I don't think they're for us. So let me... I want, there's four specific ones I want to throw out there. The first thing is somehow we feel that in kind of looking at kind of morality, sexuality, relationships, we either have to condemn or condone people's choices and behaviour. That's garbage. We don't have to do either of those two things. It is not my job and it is not your job and it is absolutely not the keyboard warriors on social media to condemn or condone anyone else's behaviour. It's not. I am responsible for my journey of faith, for my commitment to try and follow Jesus and live the best that I can with him and for him. I'm not the judge and jury for other people and I'm not saying... It's a, you know, we hold no position, it's all moral relativism, you know, what's fine for you. Like, I'm not saying that. Yes, have a carefully considered, prayerfully considered biblical position, but you do not have to condemn, you do not have to condone. And again, can you see this, this, I've got to do either one or the other. I'm either for you and against you. I'm like, no, that, like, that isn't it. We, for that false choice, you do neither. The other one is that we, you know, we either have compassion for people or we have a conviction for truth of doctrine. Listen, that's a false either or because the answer is you need both and you can have both and it is possible. And understanding there's these, these choices, there are tensions, but we've got to learn to live in the tension rather than just choosing one or the other because it temporarily relieves attention for me. That's not good enough. right? I can be absolutely convinced of my position but have unwavering compassion and kindness and respect for people whose experience is radically different from mine and who would see things really differently than I do. I can do that. And so can you. And so we need to. And that would be people within the church and without the church, inside of the church and outside of the church. People see things differently, right? You don't have to let go of your conviction of what you feel like God is saying in order to be compassionate towards other people. But what is absolutely unacceptable is that we let go of compassion because I'm more convinced, because I'm more interested in, in my conviction and actually convincing you that I'm right and you're wrong. Again, if that's our position and posture, stop it. Here's the next one, grace or truth, one or the other. Right? The Bible tells us, John tells us that Jesus was full of both. Right? He's the model. So we need to be full of grace, full of truth. Right? Love is always going to be our highest guiding principle. But the Bible does say some specific things about most things. 
Right? The Bible does have stuff to say, you know. But so there is there is truth. Like I don't, you know, don't hold to the kind of truth is relative and what's true for you is like it's not that. God has some stuff to say in the big context of human flourishing because He loves us and He's for us. Um, but we understand. Listen. There is truth, right? And the Bible's super clear that truth sets us free. But truth isn't you holding to my set of doctrinal beliefs. Like, truth isn't that... Truth is not my doctrine. Truth is Jesus. So I need to point people to Jesus, not my doctrine. Again, I'm not saying don't have a position. There is truth. Of course there is. Um, and, And in the same way, listen, grace is not permissiveness. Just get into Romans. You're welcome, right? Grace isn't permissive, but actually grace empowers me to walk in the truth, to walk in God's right way, which is massively challenging and is a hugely high calling for every single person on the planet, right? So we need to, again, it's a false choice. It's not grace or truth, it's both. Here's the last one, that we either need to be, we're either faithful to scripture or we're loving towards people, but we can't possibly do both. It's nonsense. That is a false choice. I know it's. I know there's a tension, but it's a false choice, right? Jesus wasn't soft on morality. Arguably, he, arguably, he preached the highest kind of ethical moral standards there was. Um, you know, he has a high value and deep commitment to Scripture. Like, just look at what Jesus says and how he interacts with the Bible. He had a high value for Scripture and being faithful to it. Um, but he was unconditionally loving towards people. He always led with love. Always, always, always. So here's the final one. So we need to consider our position, but it's more important about the posture we take up. We need to figure out and resist this kind of picking aside and and settling for a false choice. The last thing is this. Um, I I think we'll help in this kind of resisting the false choices is if we can figure out the difference between the status of humanity and the standard. Okay, let me explain what I mean by that. This, our status is the same as every single other human being on the planet in that we were all made in the image of God and therefore loved and valued by God. That's why, that's why we keep pulling all this back to Genesis. Actually, when, you know, God was abundantly clear. Let us make mankind in our image. So like humanity... What sets us apart from anything, any other animal is that actually we are made. We are image bearers. That is our status. And that is the same for every person on the planet. Believers, non-believers. Married, single, gay, straight, black, white. Every single person on the planet is an image bearer. But the, the standard is, is about actually us measuring up to Jesus. Right? So for us as believers, and again, you know, when we're, we're talking in this space about these things, listen, I'm talking to, to us, I'm presuming many of you are believers, people who are choosing to follow Jesus. Right? I'm not speaking to culture and the, and the city. But actually for us who have met Jesus, who believe in Jesus, have chosen to follow him, the standard is measuring up to him. Let me read you this. This is um, from a blogger, a friend of ours, a theologian called Andrew Bunt, was writing on this. And he says this, the image of God in Genesis 1 is about the status of humanity. It is an unchangeable status given by God in creation. The image of Christ to which believers are conformed to is the standard for humanity. It's the measuring line for how we should live. Does that make sense, right? So our status, unchangeable status given by God in creation, the image of Jesus to which believers are conformed. That is the standard for humanity. That's the measuring line for how you and I should live. Because of our status, we should look to be restored to the standard, but the status itself hasn't been damaged. 
So this guy right and gives the illustration of a Stradivarius violin, which becomes damaged. It's, it's still a Stradivarius violin. Its status as a Stradivarius isn't affected by the damage. But because of its status, it is right that it is restored to its intended standard. So that, that's, that's part of the journey. That will help us, I think, if we can grapple with those two things. The status of humanity. Um, and and we, so we absolutely must unconditionally and consistently affirm people's humanity and image-bearing status. We have to do that consistently and unconditionally. Right? But, but also then we have to understand, listen, the standard is actually that we are, we're becoming like Jesus. Um, and, and it is a high standard, but listen, here's the thing that I'm, I'm aware of. Um, and I don't think we do it around here, but like, I think if you look at the church, it would be a fair critique that actually we, we bang the drum over certain areas and certain standards for certain people and we'll gloss over things not so bothered about in other areas. So honestly, to take a position over same-sex relationships, over gay marriage, and not call out the use of pornography amongst married men and women in the church, not good enough. That's a double standard. There's one standard, it's measuring up to Jesus, right? So we need to be really careful that we're not picking and choosing particular things we'll take a stand on. That's not okay. Right? This, this is a statistic, again, from the States, but possibly not massively different. 68% of church-going men and 50% of pastors view pornography on a regular basis. Of young Christian adults between 18 and 24, 76% actively search for pornography. Like, I'm not saying that, I'm just saying, listen, if, if, there's a, if there's an area of morality we need to be concerned about and, and thinking about and praying about and challenging one another over, this is, is arguably a way bigger issue than, than sexuality. Or at least it's as important. Can you see what I'm saying? Like, I'm not okay with us picking one issue and saying, hey, there's a standard and we're calling a certain group of people with a certain experience to a standard and with other people, like, meh, we'll kind of gloss over it. Like, that's not okay, right? And listen, again, the focus is on us. The focus starts with me, me here, us in here, not them out there, right? Like, we're the, if we're saying we believe in Jesus, we're choosing to follow Jesus, we're committing to measuring up to his standing line, okay? And so if the church is more vocal on questions of sexuality than morality and pornography, not okay. That's not okay, <clears throat> And actually, let's just you know, put sexuality and morality to one side. Let's just think about gossip or wealth, managing wealth or dealing with money or what our response to the poor. The Bible has way, way, way more to say about that than it does sexual immorality and certainly same-sex relationships. Way more. And I don't think for a second we've got that one down as a church, right? So, and, so again, I'm not saying there's not conversations to be had and questions to be asked. I'm just saying we can't have these multiple different standards. And that there's certain people we're speaking to. There's certain issues we're really going after. Because if, you know, actually if... Listen, if the only people in a church community who are kind of... who are being challenged and called to a standard that is costly and sacrificial are single people, whether they're gay or straight, then we have a major issue with discipleship. We've got some missing conversations because the challenge is to me as a married straight woman as much as it is to anybody else, right? His standards. Jesus is the measuring line we all need to process, be in process towards and recognising, listen, we are all in that process, every single one of us, of being restored to the standard, the standard being Jesus and what he says. We have all got places of strength and weakness, success and failure in our relationships. If you think of the big net of relationships, 
We're all doing a great job in some areas, probably absolutely bombing it in others. We all are. We all have elements of, of fallen, distorted, dysfunctional desires. We've all possibly seen or done or watched things or, or even had things done to us, which is not God's best for us, right? We are all in that process, and we're all called to that same big journey of discipleship, sacrifice, purity, which is I am becoming like Jesus. We are all on that journey. And so I want us to come back again and say, listen... We have to come back to Jesus and keep it central, keep him central. I think in this, like in everything, our primary role is to point people to Jesus so he can say, follow me. And what that looks like with your finances is this. And what that looks like with your sexuality is this. And what this, that looks like with your talent looks like this. So he can say, follow me. Actually, his kindness, the Bible's super clear. God's kindness leads to repentance. It is not, and sometimes we spin it the wrong way, and we say, actually, well, if you repent, you might find his kindness. It's completely the wrong way around. Outside of meeting him, have this revelation of the fullness of God in Jesus, and that God is good, and that his word brings life, and his ways are for flourishing, not restriction or control. Outside of that, meeting him, it honestly makes no sense for me to expect anyone else um, to live according to my standard. In area, like it doesn't make sense. And Jesus didn't do it that way. I love the story of the woman in the well um, in John 4. Um, so this is a woman, and it, I'm not, for time I'm not going to read it, but um, she's in this conversation with Jesus, and he just engages her in conversation. And through the conversation, it comes out, you know, he says, she says, he says, oh, go and get your husband. She's like, actually, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right. And so she's actually had multiple husbands, and the bloke she's living with now isn't her husband. Um, and her response after this dialogue with Jesus is stunning. She says, she goes back to her village, she says, come and meet the man who told me everything I ever did. Now, we know the story really well, but just think for a minute. The everything I ever did that Jesus told her about, in that context, was shameful, was dysfunctional, was culturally and religiously unacceptable. And yet, her response was, I cannot wait for you to meet this guy. She didn't feel exposed or shamed or shut down. She was absolutely seen. And we don't know, gosh, we don't know. Was she just serially unfaithful and went from man to man? Honestly, in a patriarchal society, it's unlikely. What's far more likely is she was persistently rejected, probably. But only which way round, her story was shameful, would have meant she was other, she was not good enough, she was shut out. And yet her response with, you have to meet this guy. He's told me everything I've ever done. I can't wait for you to meet him. Because of his, and not because Jesus didn't have a position on relationships, on marriage, but because of his posture towards her. His position was always firm, I think, but his posture made people come to him, not run from him. And I'm just not convinced in the church our posture is enough like Jesus all the time. And that is, that is on us to do something about it. So I want to read you again from Colossians 2, these couple of verses, which is what I want to have as the lens, that actually our spiritual experience will become richer as we see more and more fully God's great secret, Christ himself. For it's in him and in him alone that men will find all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Moreover, your own completeness is only realized in him who is the authority over all authorities and the supreme power over all powers. So our responsibility is to actually that we come to him and we bring others to him. 
So if we need to, uh, and if we need to make some adjustment, then I want, then we need to do that. You know, actually, so seeing, listen, these are not debates to be won or issues to be fixed. These are people to be loved with stories to be heard. It's friends we're supposed to walk with, right? If we have in any way been more focused on repentance and you know repentance being changing minds, if we've been more focused on changing someone else's mind that I've forgotten to be kind, then we need to change. If I've been more determined to declare truth that I've been lacking in grace, I need to repent. I need to change. Or maybe in our desire to, to be gracious, to be loving, to be compassionate, we've let go of truth and we're, um, and we're maybe compromising or fudging over God's standard that actually brings freedom and flourishing, then we need to change. But the focus is looking at Jesus and us as a reflection of him. And that my posture is like his posture. My standard for my life is what he says is my standard. Now, knowing that that's challenging and that's hard. But I, I think us as the church, and listen, I'm not, I'm not super anxious that I hear all sorts of kind of religious requiring judgmental. I don't feel like I hear a lot of that from us as a community. Um, but listen, as the church as a whole, we're not smashing it in this area. Um, and we need to do better. Like, we need to be different. We need to be more like Jesus. And the process starts with me and with you. Actually, that I repent. I change my posture. Maybe I adjust my position if I'm not where I need to be. But it starts with us. Um, so that actually people would, would find Jesus in us. And regardless of their story, regardless of where they come from, they would say, you have got to meet this guy who's told me everything I've ever done, the best and the worst. Actually, you've got to meet this guy. That's, that's our role. And, and if that is our posture, then I think, I think it is possible to resist kind of getting pulled into this ugly culture war and actually walk with grace and truth, faithful to what the Lord says and loving towards people. We don't need to pick a side because actually it's like, I'm on his side, so we're all good. So would you stand? I want us to pray. I feel like what would be good to do is actually there's... For us to actually choose a posture of repentance, and, and again, it, 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 sometimes there's a there's a place for us to repent on the be, on behalf of the bigger that we're part of. And, and you, you know, we may not have individually kind of taken up a posture in a position that's hurtful or, or wrong, but but at points the church has, and, and, and we've and we've maybe judged, and we've maybe disconnected from people, and we've maybe sought to kind of have an answer to win a debate rather than genuinely love people. Um, and, and we listen, we acknowledge, it's, it's complicated. Um, but I just, I, f- I feel like, and maybe if it's just me, you can kind of come with me, but I feel like I, well, I want to repent and say, Jesus, where I, I, as part of your body, I haven't represented you well, I'm sorry. And if you want to join me with that, then, then do, in whatever that way looks like. So Jesus, um, Jesus, when we haven't been like you, we haven't been as consistently like you. We haven't sounded like you. We haven't reached out like you. Jesus, when your church, which should be your hands and feet, hasn't represented you, oh God, we're sorry. Jesus, when we've allowed ourselves to be pulled into picking a side, grabbing a weapon and attacking or defending a position, Jesus, we're sorry. Jesus, we just say we, 
we know our only option is you. I so said, God, if there's any other things that we've been, we hold on to as, a, as an option, Lord, we just lay those things down and say, Jesus, our only option is you, and we choose to come to you again. So Jesus, would you challenge us? Jesus, would you change us? Change me so that my posture looks and sounds and feels so much more like you, Jesus. Forgive us where that hasn't been the case, but thank you, Jesus, that in your grace and your mercy, you restore us, you change us, you make us more like the people we're supposed to be as your image bearers, your sons and daughters. And Jesus, we just say, would you help us? In the conversations, in the questions, in the uncertainty, Jesus, would you help us? Help us to walk with you, help us to live like you, and help us to just the whole of our lives and all of our relationships and all the places where we connect with people. Jesus, help us. We just say it's for you. Thank you, Jesus, that everything we need, the wisdom and the knowledge that we need, we'll find it in you and that that's a journey and that's a process and that we do that as your friends. Just remind you of that beautiful verse we sang in worship. It's so good to know that we're your friends. That Jesus help us to walk as your friends and to extend a hand of friendship to every single person around us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Listen, I want to encourage you um, as much as we're not about to kind of have the answer, um, like I want us to feel really free to have the conversations. And you know, our heart is that actually this is a community where you have people where you're seen, heard, and known. Um, and I want to encourage you that any of these questions, any of these things are live or difficult for you, like be brave and bring someone else into your journey. But if if maybe you don't have those people in your life right now, maybe you're a new community, maybe you've, you've not connected in that way yet, and you've got you need a conversation, like please know you can come and talk to us. Like reach out to one of myself, Phil, or one of the team. Like if you don't know who else to go to, if you haven't got anybody else, like come to us. I'm not saying I've got all the answers, but listen, you're welcome. And we want to invite you into a conversation. Um, but I want to encourage us let's, to go on that journey, to be brave, to be honest, to be kind and loving in all of it.